Hello and welcome to another episode of the Supertop Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Steamplock. I'm Podrig, recording from Vancouver. And I'm Oshin, recording in Dublin. It's been about one year since the New York Times published a major article on podcasting and Apple's role in it, so we thought it might be a good time to review and see what's happened since and try to predict the future of podcasting. Um, so we looked at some articles. We looked at that article from the New York Times. We read a few reactions to it from around May 2016. Ben Thompson wrote one, Alex Carter, uh, Marco Arment, and there's been some new Edison Research have published a new presentation where they sum up some of their findings on research they've been doing on podcasting. So we read through all those things and we thought we would review some of them and, and give some of our thoughts about where we think things are going. So, Ashin, why is there so much buzz about changes to podcasting, do you think? I mean, the main question that people keep asking is like, is podcasting going through like a, a major boom and like how big is it going to get kind of with the expectation that somebody's going to come in and podcasting is going to turn into something even much bigger than it is today? I think that's definitely the underlying belief that fuels most of this discussion. And the angle on it is usually that like that would happen if just and then the if just is often any range of different things like maybe Apple need to stop holding it back or if we just had analytics or discovery is broken we just need to fix discovery and I don't know. And just to get an idea of the size of the opportunity that is perceived um, Edison Research got 8,000 people in the US to do like keep track of all the audio they listen to for one day each and so they were able to process those results and they found that 54% of the people who did those diaries listened to AM or FM radio, but only 2% listen to podcasts. So I guess the belief is that like that 2% can take over most of the rest and with it, all of the money that's in radio advertising. Hmm. But yeah, as you said, a lot of the discussion seems to center around the idea that there's one, like one core solution that once this is fixed, then the floodgates will open and it'll all explode. Yeah. And so the premise of like that article from the New York Times a year ago was based around this rumor or reports um, that some undisclosed uh, podcasters had been to meetings in Cupertino, essentially, I think with Eddie Q or with some representatives from Apple to put feelers out and kind of see what do publishers think is missing what are the missing links and like what if anything can apple do to fill in the gaps and like to start doing more to help publishers realize the potential of podcasts moving forward so yeah there was some interesting reaction to that apple has been in this benevolent useful role for podcasts for years where they haven't really tried to cash in on it but they've maintained a basic catalog and an API. And they've also kept the standards of RSS to some level, at least, where if you want to be in the iTunes catalog, you have to, your RSS feed has to have certain tags. That makes life a lot easier for us too. <laughs> I think Marco Arment wrote a piece where he was arguing that like, you don't really want to wake up Apple to the potential of trying to cash in on this stuff. We should realize that we're in a relatively good place with them. But at the same time, companies like Amazon and Spotify and Pandora and lots of others are all kind of circling in on podcasting. And I think they're all threatening to make their own closed ecosystems, basically. When Ben Thompson wrote his article about the future of podcasting, he was coming from it from the angle of revenue and like what can happen for revenue to start growing in podcasts. And that like that's going to be then the sign that podcasts are getting bigger. And that's like the way that you would essentially measure the growth of podcasts is through the revenue that they're generating. Hmm. His perspective on it was that the advertising that was currently is currently 
going through podcasts is is all about like direct action like an ad to sign up for a service or to buy a mattress or whatever and but it's like okay we want people to do this right now um and it's going to get tracked quite primitively through like coupon codes and that there isn't really analytics there to like do something on a broader sense it's all advertisers have to engage with individual shows and and essentially that that doesn't really scale at the moment and i guess part of his reasoning behind why it doesn't scale is that there's a a big lack of of analytics or at least of data like coming back from users who are listening to podcasts that it's kind of a bit of a black box um and that yeah the advertisers need more data and they need to be able to advertise like more like brand based advertising that's more about like pushing i guess coca-cola or whatever like that um rather than just like immediate like take an action i guess i don't know much about how huge brands make advertising decisions but it seems like if there was a huge audience there maybe it's a chicken and egg problem but if there was already a huge audience i think they would adapt to fit that like do coca-cola advertise on the radio i'm just wondering i haven't listened to much radio recently i'm not sure i don't listen to any radio (laughs) (laughs) i wonder like do they have great analytics on other things that they do, like billboards? Or, I mean, I guess you know where a billboard is and you know what kind of people are driving by it, maybe. But that seems like the kind of thing you could more or less lean from tracking IPs of downloads and stuff. Like it wouldn't be perfect, but it might be good enough. Yeah, it seems about as close approximation as download numbers are to. I mean, you're not tracking people's eyes in cars to see whether they looked up at the billboard or not. Um, you know how many people drive past and maybe you can guess from that how many people are going to see it. So, but before we get too far into this, the I think there's like a question of, do we think there's much merit to the idea that podcasts will be huge if we just fix X? Like, do you think there's podcasts could be 20 times bigger very soon? It's kind of a question about like, like, what is a podcast exactly? I mean, like people, like when they talk about the idea of the Facebookization of podcasts or I mean I guess that's used as like a like a broad generalization for the idea of some company coming in closing down the ecosystem um and I guess distributing content in a more uh, proprietary way like say Netflix or whatever where it's like it's an individual company that like owns the rights to the content and distributes it um so is that is that a podcast anymore yeah that's like it, it just does it's i think it's like, there's a point like where it stopped being a podcast anymore and like people a lot of the discussion is more about like okay audio content delivered online um like is that going to explode is somebody going to come in and like start doing that like in a really new way um which is an interesting question but like there's a point where it stops being like okay, that that's not podcasts anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Like that there's something else to podcasts. There's like, there's a, well, I was about to say indefinable, but I guess maybe we can try and define what it is a little bit. But there's like, I mean, the openness of podcasts is like essential to what makes it or like the centralization of like having this one place where you can gather all your stuff together um, and like manage yourself what you want to listen to like coming from any multitude of sources whether that's like the biggest radio company in the world or your friend down the road who records a podcast about their garden for example Mm -hmm. the idea that like all that comes together in one place um and so when you look at companies like say amazon with audible who like have exclusive content deals or if you look at some of like newer apps that are like um bumpers 
yeah, bumpers or anchor or whatever that are look like looking at creating new ways for people to record content and distribute it. Um, it's a different game, I think. It's 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 a very different area. Yeah, I agree. And it's not that we can't think about how audio distribution will work in the future and what that looks like and whether these things are all interesting. If we're just going to say, will something replace radio eventually? Then yes. And that's not. there's not enough detail to that to make it interesting. Like it's so vague that it's just right no matter what. So I think we have to be more specific about what we're talking about. And the word podcast does get used a lot. Yeah, I think it's worth defining at least what we mean by it anyway, that it's basically something that anyone can publish themselves and anyone else can aggregate them in an app or a website or something without any kind of licensing deal. That definition gets a little bit hazy because say I would still consider a paid subscription feed like, I don't think I would try and argue that that's not a podcast. But anyway, I think we're like 90% right here. So let's not get lost in the detail. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit murky there. But what we're concerned or what we're interested in thinking about and, and wondering about is the future for this general type of distributing audio content in this open way, whether there's another company distributing content in another way as well. I mean, it's already happened. Like Amazon has proprietary content that you can only play through Audible, which is a desperate app. (laughs) As someone who just works on an app and thinks that apps are all that matters in the entire universe, I find it harder to worry about Audible until they make that listening experience a bit better. But I mean, if you look at the video world, um, and these are not going to be like, these are not direct comparisons to what we're talking about, but it's not that there's like one central like video service where everything comes from. I mean, like you people, you still have cable news, you still have different TV networks, uh, and then you also still have YouTube and you still have Vimeo. And I guess there, in that world, there is so much less now, though, of like this more individually distributed content. Well, YouTube, I mean, our definition of um, podcasts <laughs> definitely doesn't fit in- include YouTube, but I think it's definitely the place like where amateur content all happens. Like if... If podcasts didn't exist and we were still doing this conversation somehow, we'd be on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which is maybe a very interesting thing to consider. Like, where does the, if we're taking our definition of podcast being more or less an open feed that anyone can use, and can that take over radio, which is like this professionally produced, and also like radio isn't just talk, there's also tons of music and lots and news and loads of other stuff. I think that limits hugely what reasonable expectations you could have for podcasting taking over all of radio where like if you think about podcasting turning into more of a youtube thing where like there's all this amateur content and out of like a billion badly made videos a few stars rise from that that's a much different model to like we're going to take over radio it's like a new thing happening that's where bumpers is kind of an exciting thing. I don't think This American Life is going to start publishing exclusively there, but I could see it evolving into a platform where amateurs can do stuff easily without having to know how to use logic and become audio mixing nerds. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting to consider from like that perspective of distributing audio and new ways of creating audio. Um, and I do keep an eye on things like this. I guess maybe it's interesting to think of like what is interesting about them and are there ways that what they're doing that is interesting could be brought back into like the podcast space. There's definitely interesting innovations there in terms of UI, in terms of enabling and empowering users to do things or to interact on things in, in certain new ways. I think it's interesting to imagine like apps of an app of the future that could potentially like bring some of those things back into an arena that also has like this like this open content 
coming from podcasts from all over the world rather than being just its own closed system. Yeah, I think the reason those apps are closed is like they're commercial reasons, they're not technical ones. You can make an app that's good at recording and sharing and that still publishes to an RSS feed that you could subscribe to and whatever app you wanted. I guess to round back around to Ben Thompson's article and maybe just to get to summarize up, I guess what his end conclusion was, was that so he had talked about how podcasting was going to have to change to be able to accommodate like more revenue coming from bigger advertisers. Um, He discussed Stitcher and some of these other like more closed options. But ultimately, he thought that the like that the way forward for publishers to like take control of their content, monetize it better, reach more brands was a future of publishers having their own individual apps where essentially their content is is siloed into their own app. Um, and instead of having to tell users to go to their podcast app and search for this particular podcast and find it, they just tell them to download this app from the app store they can get all the data they want from the app and have control over it completely from that perspective. Um, but the idea that there would be like one app for, for each different producer of content and that then the role of like bigger players like like mid-roll or like somebody who wants to like capitalize on this expanding market of individualized network apps it would be like essentially to become white-label app producers Um I mean, I guess in theory, in this future, that's what we could be producing white label versions of of Castro or of whatever a network specific version of Castro that we would white label and sell to. And he's positioning that as an alternative to, I guess, the Facebookization of podcasts, where like one big player takes all over all of it. But yeah, I mean, I okay. There's the argument that we're so deep in podcasts that we don't see the forest for the trees. But that sounds obviously terrible to me. I like to listen to the Financial Times podcast and NPR, and I also like to listen to like just podcasts that my friends make. And it's all in one queue in one place, and I know how the player works in Castro, and I can reorder things, and it all makes sense. Like the whole inbox queue model that we came up with, I think one of the underlying thing realizations there is that you can like listening to an episode or two without being a committed fan of the thing. So like, there's no way I'm going to go download a special app for podcasts that I only listen to one or two episodes of per year. But I really like being able to listen to them uh, when they are relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's so hard to get people to even install one app. That just seems like if you already have a podcast app installed, searching to, for, to find a podcast is not hard. It's certainly not harder than like going to the app store and trying to manage that. I mean, it sounds to me almost as along the lines of like when everybody who had a website thought they had to have an app as well and that you instead of going to their website you should go to their app instead but you would just get like this some stuff should be on websites (laughs) yeah um and some content should be like available in 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 a more central place rather than just siloed off into different apps there are people who are famous and uh, have a following enough of a following that maybe they could pull it off, but that's more about them than it is about their listeners. <laughs> I could see it more as like, this is what committed fans get, and this is how he gives them extra content and that kind of stuff, or she. But I can't see it as like, oh, this is, I launch an app and then people are going to come and find it and my audience is going to grow. Another huge thing people that we'll get to that comes up a lot is discovery and like discovery in that world is horrible. You're going to go to the app store and search for podcast apps. 
Like <laughs> you're in, that's a worse situation than browsing iTunes podcasts or Apple podcasts, as it's called now. Yeah, it's it's one alternative, but I don't think it stands up. This episode of the Supertop podcast is brought to you by Steam Clock Software. We've told you about Steam Clock before and their approach to building great products, but we haven't told you about how they got started in the first place. So Alan Pike used to work for Apple. He was a developer on the iWork team. And after they shipped the iPad, he decided it was time for him to move on. He wanted to create the kind of company that he wanted to work at. One part of that was he wanted to base it in Vancouver instead of Silicon Valley. So he started Steam Clock in Gastown with Nigel Brook. They wanted to grow the company slowly and steadily. They've done that and now they're a team of 10. And they wanted to be a product-focused company that creates really polished apps. They do that on their own products, but also, luckily for you, they take their experiences and lessons from those projects and use them to build amazing products for clients too. You can find out more about Steam Clock, the services they offer, and the philosophy behind their approach to work at steamclock.com. Thanks to Steam Clock for sponsoring this episode. And once again, check out steamclock.com if you need a great team to work on your product. So the other big topic that comes up a lot is discovery. Alex Carter had a good quote in his Medium post about where he was responding to the original New York Times article. Uh, I'll just read it out here. It's hard for anyone with or without context to easily navigate the world of podcasts and quickly find worthwhile episodes to listen. This is the primary bottleneck holding back the entire ecosystem. I think that's a good <laughs> that's a good proposition for debate. First of all, do you agree that it is hard for anyone to navigate the world of podcasts and find worthwhile episodes to listen? I do think it's tricky enough. Like even I mean the amount of work that we put into like trying to like streamline Castro or make it as easy as possible for people like I, I still do feel like they're not just in Castro but just generally that there is like there's some sort of a technical hurdle there to get to people getting started in podcasts initially there's an element of it that I think we understand quite well because we work on apps where like a user understanding the various metaphors and like concepts in a podcast app which if you've never used one before all of a sudden now you have to manage downloads and played unplayed all that stuff so that could be better. And that's even without talking about the content. But um, usually when people talk about this, it's, I guess the idea is there's like a huge, amazing world of content out there, but it's just hidden from people's grasp by a lack of discoverability. I mean, this is where some of like this social stuff, I guess, that we discussed on the last episode comes in. And like, do there need to be better ways for people to, for example, see what their friends are listening to or get better recommendations based on what they've listened to before? Um, or like an interface that's more like, say, something like Netflix, where you just open it up straight into like a really rich catalog into which like your own custom curated like my list part or whatever like that is kind of more like of a section within that but like the overall experience of using the thing um like is just this more like immersive um media selection experience and that that gets like filled by by algorithms and by selection or whatever rather than like a like imagine if like you when you opened up netflix for the first time like there was essentially like a blank screen and there was a plus tab that you could go to and then you would start like choosing shows and be like, okay, these are the shows that you should populate my Netflix experience with. And then once you've done that for a while, now once, now in future when you start launching Netflix, 
there's content there and it's like stuff that you've manually chosen and so in theory you're going to be interested in most of it um so maybe there are lessons to be learned like from like that type of experience and the thing is that i don't think that has to be wrapped up in oh and also to do that you have to be the netflix of podcasts to the point where you have licensed all the content or you produce huge amounts of the content like yourself um, and therefore you have to be this giant corporation with huge amounts of money behind you and stuff i mean a lot of that is a user experience problem and i don't think has to be ingrained in like what is the distribution method for the content that's behind this i mean there is definitely a lot of data would have to go into like making that either a lot of data or a huge amount of curation i mean there would be more resources have to go into like creating an experience like that um well, Netflix Netflix had a huge competition years ago where they, I think, had a million-dollar prize for whoever wrote the best algorithm. They published a bunch of their data, and whoever made the best recommendation algorithm won a million dollars. They spent a lot of time on getting that right. But the comparison you made there is really interesting. I hadn't thought of it before. Yeah, a podcast app is basically empty when you start. Netflix would be so goofy if you had to do that. You had to already know the names of the shows you wanted but it would also be just as bad if it was like, hi, Ashin, tell me what kind of shows do you like? Sci-fi? Okay, here's sci-fi. Mm. So that approach where you ask people two questions and then you somehow know enough about them to recommend shows, that also seems kind of bad to me. Yeah, I've seen that in apps. And I mean, yeah, there have been apps that do that where you launch and you choose a few categories. And then um, there was that Swell app years ago, um, which app, Apple acquired for... For like 30 million, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there must be something there, and I wonder. I want. I mean, I guess the question. I mean, is that going to like come to fruition in something that Apple do do in the future with podcasts? Who knows? But anyhow, that was a, a, a diversion. But yeah, the point was that yeah, you answer a few questions when you launch the app, and then it's it did try to get you like straight into more immersive media environment. Um, I was about to say that like that then I didn't like that because it wasn't the stuff that I wanted. Maybe that is a case again of like me coming to it and bringing my expectations to it because I did know what I wanted and I wanted it to be my podcasts and I wanted to import an OPML file um, and I wanted to see somebody do a nice UI or, like on my content rather than start recommending like a bunch of stuff to me because I'm into photography and um, travel. But, you know, actually, I just remembered when I signed up my Netflix account on my computer, I filled in like 10 pages of ratings on various movies and shows that I've watched before to inform the algorithm so that it could pick out good stuff. Now, you don't have to do that, I don't think. I think you can just like install the Netflix app and things will appear. But whatever I set up my account, that that was a thing that I encourage you to do. So there was some kind of survey at the start, but because everyone has watched some movies and some TV shows before, they're able to say, oh, yeah, what did you think of The Godfather? What did you think of Star Wars? Like these cultural things that are well understood. If you did that with podcasts, like what did you think of Serial? Oh, five stars. Okay, cool. What about S-Town? Five stars? Okay. Oh, well, that's the two podcasts everyone's heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there just has to be like the different cultural experiences that can then be mapped onto podcasts. Like <laughs> what did you think of The Godfather? It was great. Okay, here's... You'll love the Super Top podcast. <laughs> um, so I think Netflix was able to take advantage of the fact that that industry already existed and that those expectations already were there. But if we asked 
of questions about 100 podcasts, most people wouldn't know that what those podcasts were. One angle on that is the idea of celebrities, I guess, um, and of using like cultural figures. Um, when networks like Earwolf and stuff like that produced like their own apps with their like their own exclusive content, I think a lot of that is based on the idea of like trying to convince people to use their service um, and and pay for their content, like based on like that they already know this celebrity who has started this podcast and this is the only place to listen to it, for example. So. Maybe there is something smart there in terms of like getting people listening to stuff based on some of their experiences outside of podcasts if they're not familiar with them yet. Nick Coa made the point that he he feels like there just isn't enough diversity of content there yet, that discovery isn't necessarily the problem. Hmm. So it's not that there's this huge body of amazing work. It's that that isn't even there. And I there's something about that argument that makes a lot of sense to me because I peop, I think people will go through any nightmare UI, like any kind of awful computer system they will figure out and deal with if there's something at the end that they want. I, I like making great apps and everything, but I, I think the the content drives it. Like if you meet someone who's listened to Serial or S-Town, there's probably a 50-50 chance that they won't know what you mean when you ask what what other podcasts they listen to. <laughs> because it's it's the content that's what matters. It's not like being a podcast listener. So that that is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, no, especially when you consider like there's just different audiences. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I like for me, I feel like there's huge amounts of content that I want to listen to, and that there's more content than I can consume. Um, but maybe yeah, I am listening to a huge amount of content, but am I just hearing like the same perspectives uh, reiterated over and over again, or am I listening to? Um, a few more white men on a podcast talking about tech again or like am I is it is like is there a variety in the content there and 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 is it appealing appealing to like to enough other audiences as well um, there was a tweet I remember seeing years ago from some Irish guy that said he had listened to uh, far too many podcasts that were Americans telling woe stories <laughs> <laughs> and I think like I don't know. There was something about that that just like so many of the top podcasts fall into that category where it's like, yeah, Radio Lab or This American Life. It's usually Americans telling whoa stories. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I could definitely say like I listen to those few tech podcasts and uh, then news things that I would probably just as happily read, but um, but I listen to them instead. If those three things didn't appeal to me, I don't know what else I would find. <laughs> One one really great thing about podcasting is that you can have such obscure stuff. Like you can have, I don't know, someone who's obsessed about particular types of pen can have their own podcast. I knew you were going to say pen. That's like, <laughs> that's my go-to example as well. <laughs> well, because it's familiar and, you know, people will know Mike, right? <laughs> Mike Hurley, I mean, from Relay FM. One of his, I think maybe the first podcast he started was The Pen Addict, which was yeah, a podcast just about pens. But there are ones about, you know, mountain biking and like it's a medium where someone where there's like a group of a thousand people in the entire universe who care about this thing, they could all listen to the one podcast and share it and because it's not expensive to make or to host. And that's kind of a that's a thing podcasts have that like a show on Netflix never has. Even YouTube, I feel like there's more overhead to making a video. 
I think I agree with you right now, but I'm not sure how I'm going to feel while I'm editing these sentences together. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so there's a lot of content out there and it's maybe it is hard to find like the weird mounting bike podcast as well. Like if you are one of those people, how do you connect with that group? Maybe that's difficult, but. So say our directory has 400, 450,000 podcasts or something like that in it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which that does sound like like a huge number of podcasts to me, but like there will be a time when I hope there will be a time when we'll think, oh, Jeannie Mac, imagine the time when there was only like f- less than half a million podcasts in our directory. Um, like, and I think the point that Nick is making is that maybe even if we can see that there's a huge amount of content for people who are into pens or, or mountain biking or whatever, that there is still heat advocates that there's still like a big shortage of programs for like other types of audiences like older people or more or for women or for people of color um different type i'm going to just read his words here but more different kinds of communities and more nationalities and so on um so like within a certain spectrum there might be like a huge array of content there but there's room for that to like to grow and become more diverse. And I think it does need to happen. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so podcasts have been growing each year at a reasonable rate, but not at the rate that was predicted. That Edison Research thing says 42 million listened this year, or 42 million per month, I think, listened, where the year before they had predicted it would be 50, 57 or something like that. Sorry, I don't have the exact number in front of me. But it was, a yeah, a difference of a few million in the prediction. Um, but it is growing. And like, you, there are breakout successes like S-Town. So it's it's growing at a reasonable rate and I don't I don't know, I think that's good. <laughs> I don't need it to like grow a hundred times all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean I think not just in podcasts, but like just generally in terms of media analysis or business analysis or um analyst analysis. Um <laughs> there's like this obsession with this I like a hockey stick idea or like that like of explosions in growth and of like things changing really quickly. Um but I think there can be a good side to like just like more slow, like steady growth. Um like because instead of then concentrating on okay, what big company is going to come in and like take over this space and finally make all the money for everybody that everybody wants and that we can just think like maybe even more about like what are the like how can podcasting evolve and grow steadily and slowly um in a way like that maintains like all the things that we think are good about it hmm. like if things keep growing steadily and slowly can we keep a grip on it and keep these things that we love about it um I guess one question in that is like, can we have any effect on that or can, or do we just have to like hope that that happens? Um, and as long as it is happening, we can take advantage of it and we can enjoy our content and we can make our app. I'm talking specifically about us for a second here, but, um, like what effect can audiences and people have on stuff? in that direction or do we all just have to sit back and and see what the big boys do (laughs) well most of these topics uh like discovery and analytics and publishing and all that stuff they center on or we've talked about them as like this is what's holding podcasts back from being huge 
So even if we're personally not worried about podcasts being huge, we could definitely do things to improve. Like discovery isn't great and we know we can see ways it could be better. I'm not sure that's going to be the breakthrough that makes it like a hundred times the size, but it could be a little bit like it'll make things a little bit better. Mm. Um, analytics, same thing, really. I I don't really think all of a sudden once Coca-Cola can see a chart of impressions, they're just going to throw billions at podcasts. But it would be a bit better if there were some like some level of reasonable analytics that weren't too creepy. And publishing could be easier. It's kind of a mess to record. And as we know, to like record and edit something that ends up sounding in any way listenable. Um, so all those things could improve, just maybe not with the expectation that that's going to be the breakthrough that makes podcasts like totally mainstream. People throw away their TVs and just listen to radio now. <laughs> I think Alex Carter summed up very nicely in his in his medium article because he talked about like the like these various different improvements that we've talked about that people want from different angles um okay if some benevolent uh force doesn't put them forward that someone else will i mean his argument was that like he thought that apple could continue to be this benevolent force that it has been so far in podcasting um that if apple brought these things and continued to be not interested in cashing in or enclosing things up or, or making stuff more proprietary. Um, that if Apple brought these things to force, that then that would like remove the incentive or remove the potential for other actors to come and like basically steal the game by and clo- and lock things up by, by offering things that, that Apple hasn't been able to. Um, so, I mean, Alex ad- advocated it for it being Apple. In a, in a way he did at least, but then he also said that he doesn't know if it should be Apple. That, like, that Apple, in from his perspective, are great at hardware, but he doesn't know if they could create a software experience to like to to improve podcasts in this way, like for creators and for listeners, and like to bring all that together. Um, I mean, Alex is asking questions here as much as like giving answers. Um, but I guess the main idea is that like, could there be? Is there a possibility for there to be like a good actor who can bring these things, but not? do it in a way that also has to close down podcasts. Um, that they can still be the things that we are calling podcasts now, that there still is this open distribution um, and that there's incentive there for some organization somewhere to improve things, but just not do it in a way that's purely motivated by profit. Yeah, Apple, Apple are notoriously resistant <laughs> to making profit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you said that at the start where like, I, mean, I think Marco's point was, yeah, if, yeah, don't wake up the beast, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't know who else can do it. I mean, like we're sitting here, the two of us, we're making a podcast app and we can get it to whatever certain amount of people and we know there's things we can improve about it and we can improve podcasts for a very small audience. But like... Um, I don't think we, me and you, can like be a force, like this force that Alex Carter is looking for in this article. We can play a small part, but I, I, that's what, where I feel like we're more on the edges of it. Like, yeah, we could make a contribution, like we could invent a spec and implement it in our app and demonstrate in our podcast, and maybe someone else would implement it too. Mm. Yeah, we have the power to like suggest things, but we definitely don't have any, any ability to enforce things. Or like if we came up with an analytics framework or anything like that, I don't think we could convince the other podcast app to integrate it, like under any circumstances, even if it was completely benign and like had no profit motive. I think it'd be very hard to, even just to get them to spend the time to do the work, it would be very difficult. But yeah, 
yeah, so you're right. I don't think I don't think we're major players in this. So I I wonder who who is. <laughs> when he launched Overcast, Marco talked about like one of his reasons for making it free um, was that he did want to be able to reach like a larger audience and to to be a player in this like more open podcast world um, and try and help stave off like any potential for a more closed future. Um, I still think as a one man operation that's like a difficult thing to do but by putting his app out for free he definitely has like maximized like yeah. what influence he could have as as one person on it um and yeah we've talked before about how maybe castro would probably be free one day with castro tree um so i don't know maybe that's a direction to go where we try just try to get to more people um I think you're onto something there for sure. Like he's overcast is definitely has more influence than we do by a long shot, but it's still, uh, yeah, I think he's taken it as far as it can go in terms of market influence, but he still, he has the same power. I just described where like he could come up with a new spec or a new idea for things to include in our RSS feed. And, you know, maybe we would implement it if, if it made sense for us, but even, you know, even say the top three iOS apps integrate, some new idea there's still like a lot of other listening going on on android and other places so yeah yeah it's hard to imagine but i mean there there must be okay so apple's not the ideal holder of this thing because we're just hoping that whoever works on podcasts and apple keeps their head down enough that it doesn't get turned into something to profit off and like it kind of feels like someday maybe that will end the way google reader ended um, but yeah, hopefully there's some other organization that would make sense for that. Your idea of, of like the idea of like smaller players collaborating on different things, it just reminded me of this. Um, I watched this documentary on Netflix the other night about, I can't remember what it was called, but I'll find it out for the show notes. But essentially about like these PC wars, uh, with, like IBM versus like IBM compatible manufacturers, like Compaq. A lot of it was about Compaq. Hmm. Um like IBM wanted to basically lock out like the IBM compatible makers by they came out with the I think it was called I this my computer history is atrocious but I think with an IBM series 2 or something like that PS2 was PS2 that? Yeah, yeah yeah I had one of those but then the I mean the smaller manufacturers were able to band together and work together set their own standards and and essentially I mean eventually put IBM out of business because they came up with their own standards. And even though they were individually smaller together, they were able to stand taller and, and offer the market, I guess, what, what they wanted better than IBM was able to do. Apple making some big move could be interesting in terms of crystallizing that. Like if if Apple did something that was going to take RSS feeds out of existence and make it a closed thing, then there'd be a huge, like that would be an incentive for all of us to work together on something. Mm. I think you need some like crystallizing force that everyone understands is a danger. And I don't think, I don't think people are, well, I'm personally not scared of Amazon right now for the kind of app we're offering anyway. So that's, that's probably enough. <laughs> that's the future. That is the entire future <laughs> of podcasts. You did say at the end of the last episode that people should tune in for us to ask more questions that we don't answer. So I think it's okay oh, yeah. that we didn't, um, <laughs> we we pondered more than we predicted. Mm -hmm. We're a year later after that New York Times article and the universe has not changed yet. So we'll see where we are in another year, I guess. Did you just say things are not that much different than they were a year ago? <laughs>
<laughs> okay, end the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I've been Ushin. I don't know why I'm introducing myself again. I've been Podrick. Thanks again to Steamplock for sponsoring the show. Lots of times. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you are interested in sponsoring the Super Top Podcast, get in touch with us. And you're one of the special people who listen to the very end of the episode. So you should definitely get in touch with us. Even if you just want to sponsor us and we'll just call out your name and say you're great and we love you because you listen to the end of episodes. <laughs> okay. Shut it down. This is done. See you soon, Podrick. Bye.